Last week we finished our series in the book of Daniel. As we went through Daniel, we saw all of the things that you see up here on this chart. Now, uh, a lot of times I'll see people start taking pictures of the slides, and you're more than welcome to do that. But I want to let you know that everything I ever show you in sermons, the slides are always available on our website at waysidechapel.org. If you go to the sermon section, all of the slides are there. This chart is there in a PDF. So you can take this and study it uh, at your leisure at home if you need a review of the things that are there. Now, just in case you were not with us in that series through Daniel, we're right here uh, in terms of the end-time events, right? <laughs> we, are, we are living in what is called the church age. This is the period that happened uh, after Pentecost where the Holy Spirit was given to believers and it will end at the rapture, which will restart that final 70th seven, that seven-year period of the tribulation that is to come. Now, before Jesus ascended into heaven, he said he had to leave in order that the paraclete, the word Greek word for the Holy Spirit, would come. And so Jesus gave the believers the gift of the indwelling of God himself, as God the Holy Spirit indwells us as Christians. And he did that to empower us to fulfill the Great Commission, which we find in Matthew 28, 19 through 20. It says, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, to the end of, even to the end of the age. Now, as we're going to see today in our parable in Luke chapter 19, God tells us to do his business until he returns. Christ says he's leaving, and he tells his servants to do his business. And the Great Commission is his business. He's called us to be sharing the good news of the gospel, not just to make converts, but to make disciples. And so this is what we're going to be talking about today. Uh, this, this interim period is the time in which we live before Jesus returns. There is still the second coming of Christ, as we saw all throughout Daniel. This is when Jesus Christ will physically return to the earth. And when he returns, he brings all of us who were raptured as believers to come back with him, and then we'll begin what is called the millennial kingdom, that thousand-year reign here on Christ. And the parable we're looking at today is dealing with that time, the rewards of the millennial kingdom. And so I invite you to uh, look with me now at Luke chapter 19, where I want to begin by reading verses 11 through 14. It says, And while they were listening to these things, Jesus went on to tell a parable because he was near Jerusalem. And they supposed that the kingdom of God was going to appear immediately. He said, therefore, a certain nobleman went to a distant country to receive a kingdom for himself and then return. And he called ten of his slaves and he gave them ten minas. And he said to them, do business with this until I come back. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, we do not want this man to reign over us. Now, if we were reading through the Gospel of Luke here, you would see that the setting, as it tells us, is he's on his way to Jerusalem. And in the verses right before what we just read, he's had an encounter with Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus, many of you will recall, was the chief tax collector. He was a corrupt and wicked man who stole from everyone. And he has this encounter with Christ, and he comes to faith in him. And becoming a believer, his life is changed. And Zacchaeus says he will give half his possessions to the poor, as well as returning to the people he's stolen from four times as much. Now, in doing so, the worldly wealth of Zacchaeus would have plummeted. 
But Jesus is telling him and the others listening that by being faithful servants of his, they will build true and lasting riches uh, as they live for the Lord. And so as all those who are listening to this, who are following Jesus, hear this, they think the payday has arrived. Because verse 11 says he's on his way to Jerusalem where they expect the kingdom to be initiated. Uh, if you look at the verses that follow our passage, you'll find the triumphal entry of Christ, which is where Jesus entered Jerusalem that we celebrate on Palm Sunday. And as he was coming down into the city of Jerusalem off the Mount of Olives, in Luke 19.38 it says, The crowds were screaming out, crying out uh, in praise, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. They think that Jesus is here. He's going to overthrow Rome. The earthly kingdom is going to be set up. And, but Jesus kind of stops all of this by saying, no, I'm not coming to set up the kingdom. In fact, what I'm coming into is where I will be rejected. He tells them, uh, I'm going to die on a cross. And this is what we saw in Daniel 9.27, God revealed where he said the Messiah would be cut off. Jesus Christ came to the earth in order to go to the cross to be that payment uh, for your and my penalty of sin, which is death. So Jesus would die on a cross. It's what he's talking about in verse 14 where he says he would be rejected. But then he said in verse 15 of Luke 19 that he would be back, which points to his second coming. So where we are in this parable is living between verses 14 and 15 of Luke chapter 19. We are in this interim period where Christ is returned to heaven and we're waiting for him to come at his second coming. And when he comes back, he's going to reward those who have been faithful to live for him, which is what we see in verses 15 through 27. It says, And it came about that when he returned, after receiving the kingdom, he ordered that these slaves to whom he had given the money be called to him in order that he might know what business they had done. And the first appeared, saying, Master, your mina has made ten minas more. And he said to him, Well done, good slave, because you have been faithful in a very little thing, be in authority over ten cities. And the second came, saying, Your mina master has made five minas. And he said to him also, And you are to be over five cities. And another came, saying, Master, behold your mina, which I kept put away in a handkerchief, for I was afraid of you. Because you are an exacting man, you take up what you did not lay down, and you reap what you did not sow. And he said to him, By your own words I will judge you, you worthless slave. Did you know that I am an exacting man, taking up what I did not lay down and reaping what I did not sow? Then why did you not put the money in the bank? And having come, I would have collected it with interest. And he said to the bystanders, Take the mina away from him and give it to the one who has the ten minas. And they said to him, Master, he has ten minas already. And Jesus says, I tell you that to everyone who has shall more be given. But from the one who does not have, even what he does have shall be taken away. But these enemies of mine who do not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slay them in my presence. Now what we're looking at, obviously, is speaking of Christ. He's the nobleman who went away to heaven. That's the distant country. And there he receives the kingdom and he returns. When Jesus was crucified on the cross, he was buried in the tomb for three days. He rose from the dead. He walked the earth for 40 days, appearing to more than 500 witnesses. He then ascended into heaven, where he's seated at the right hand of God, waiting to return at this second coming, where the millennial kingdom that he is going to establish here on earth will be inaugurated. 
And this is what is being talked about. And as Christians, you'll remember who were raptured, we will return at the second coming of Christ and we will enter with Jesus into this millennial kingdom here on earth. Now, we don't have time to go back and re-preach all of Daniel, but uh, I'll just remind you what the millennial kingdom is. We saw last Sunday in the last part of Daniel, blessed is he who attains to the 1,335 days. And that spoke of those who would physically enter the millennial kingdom here on earth. And you'll recall that when the second coming of Christ happens, there's this battle of Armageddon. All the wicked are wiped out. Satan is bound for this thousand years. And then those who were believers during the tribulation who came to faith will enter physically into the millennial kingdom. You and I who are Christians who were raptured have our new resurrection bodies. We will not be married. We will not be reproducing children. Uh, we will be uh, able to come and go to the new Jerusalem in heaven. Now, again, I know that if you haven't been through the whole series, you're going, whoa, I'm not getting any of this, so go back and listen to the whole series if you missed it. But what will happen is those who physically enter into the millennial kingdom, just as we are right now, will be able to marry, will be able to have children. And for a thousand years, they will be having kids who will be having grandkids who will be having great-grandkids. And these are the ones who are physically living on the earth. Some of those will not come to faith in Christ, even though they see him physically seated on the Davidic throne in Jerusalem. They will be the ones that are gathered at the battle of Gog and Magog at the end for that final rebellion. So what is happening is you have two sets of people. You have those living physically in the millennial kingdom, and then you have us who are raptured believers who are living in our eternal bodies and we will be here on earth as well with them. But we will be those who are in authority with Christ, co-reigning during this time. So when we're reading this parable that talks about somebody who's over ten cities or somebody who's over five cities, these are real, literal cities. Those who were really faithful might have a position like the governor of Texas and be in authority over the whole state. Others will be in authority over a large city like San Antonio. Uh, there will be some who were not faithful, who will have no uh, uh, reigning rewards, and we're going to talk more about that in here. So that's what we're reading here when it says, be in authority over five or ten cities. These are literal rewards here on earth. And it, it's based upon how we lived our life the first time we were here on earth. This is what this parable points to when it says in verse 13, he called ten of his slaves and he gave them ten minas and said to them, do business with this until I come back. Now, we see this word slave, and it's the Greek word doulos. It means a bondservant. We have a college ministry here at Wayside called doulos, and it speaks of how we as believers in Christ are servants of his. Uh, this word for bondservant was used of those who attached themselves, bound themselves to a master, and they did this literally. If you were a servant and you decided, I want to serve this master for life, they would take you to the home of the master, they would pull out your earlobe, and they would literally drive an awl through your ear. You've seen people with plugs? That's not something new. That's a first century thing. People would have these big holes in their ear. Uh, and anybody who saw it knew you had attached yourself to the home of a master. Now, they didn't leave you there. They would pull the awl out, right? But then you would go around and you would have this mark that everybody could see, oh, you are the servant of master so-and-so. Now, we hear the word slave, and we think of it as a bad word. 
because of the, the atrocious abuses in the history of our time. But a bond servant was actually a beautiful word, somebody who attached themselves to a master. For us, as servants of Christ, uh, we serve a master who loves us and has set us free. We bind ourselves to him because he's loosed our chains. In Romans six seventeen through 18, we're told, But thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which you were committed. And having been freed from sin, you have become slaves of righteousness. You see, we bind ourselves to Christ because he set us free. And we serve him willingly and freely and as a response of love. And we do our part to share God's love with others, telling them how Christ came to die for them, to set them free from their sins. And what we're, we're seeing here is that each of these bond servants is given a mina. Some of your translations may use the word pound there because a mina was a unit of weight. And it was actually equal to one and a quarter pounds. It was a measure of money that they would weigh out Amina. In Ezekiel 45.12, we're told that 60 shekels make up Amina. So what this means is it's about three years' worth of wages. Imagine for a moment you were suddenly handed three months of pay in one lump sum. Wouldn't that be great? Somebody took three months of money, put it on the table in front of you, and said, this is for you to do business with. Now, the business we're to do is that of the master's. And so while it's not a lifetime of earnings, it represents the stewardship of our life, not just in terms of finances. Uh, The stewardship of our life speaks of our talents and abilities. It speaks of our time that we have, as well as our treasure. And when money is mentioned again in verse 23, the way the Greek text is structured is there's an emphasis on whose money it is. You see, it's not the servant's money, it's the master's money. Uh, it's not the slave stuff to do with what he likes. Rather, it's a stewardship of the resources that belong to the master, and therefore it's to do the master's work. And this is true of everything we have, from the breath in our body to the ability we have to earn a living. Now, let me just say something here, because I think sometimes as Christians, there's this wrong idea that if we ever do anything fun, that if we ever have anything nice, that somehow we're bad stewards, that we're not doing God's work. Friends, Jesus said in the scriptures, he came that we might have life and have it abundantly. There's nothing wrong with having current clothing or a nice home or a car or taking a vacation. It's a matter of, are you a good steward of what's been entrusted to you? Uh, I have a friend who's rich. And when I say rich, I mean really rich. Uh, This guy gives away $50 million a year uh, to ministry. So that's not all he makes. That's what he gives away. Uh, And he is a man who has a ranch. He has nice things. He takes vacations. uh, And yet he is a good steward. He and his wife take what God has entrusted to them, and they give it freely to others. Now, I'd like to work my way to the top of his ministry list as well, but uh, I'm not there. But he is a man who is a faithful steward with what God has given to him. There's a parable of the talents in Matthew chapter 25. It's like the one we're looking at, but if you read the parable of the talents, it says that different people are given different amounts. Here you'll notice everybody's given the same entrustment. So somebody like the friend I just mentioned, he's been given much more in terms of financial resources than most other people will ever have. 
And some of you may be saying, well, I'd like to be entrusted uh, with that. Well, there's, there's a verse in the Bible that talks about the body of Christ. Some are the hands, some are the feet, some are the eyes. And it says, you know, nobody can, the body would not function well if everybody had all the same gifts. He jokingly tells me his spiritual gift is being the wallet of the body of Christ, right? His goal, his, what God has entrusted to him is to support ministers and ministries uh, that are out there. And you may be thinking, well, I'd like to have that spiritual gift, right? Well, some of it comes down to what has been your faithfulness possibly with what God has entrusted to you in the past. Because as we're looking at this parable, it says if you're faithful in a little, you'll be faithful in a lot. And God will give more to those who have proven faithfulness. So it may be that as you look at your current stewardship of your life, treasures, or talents, that you're not being as faithful a steward. Uh, and it may be that God is, is blessing you in a different way. Remember, we have the, the story of the widow's might, where this poor widow had less than two half pennies that she gave. And Jesus said she gave more than those who filled the plate. So it's not a matter of how much you give. It's what is your stewardship and your sacrificial giving and things that, that you do with what's been entrusted to you. So as you're thinking about having a bank account like the one that I just mentioned, I want you to imagine for a moment that you do have a bank account where every morning when you log into it and you check your balance, it says you have a balance of $86,400. Now, that $86,400 will be deposited into your account uh, at the stroke of midnight every morning. But when the day is over, whatever you did not spend will disappear. So you have a stewardship of time. There's no overdrafts. There's no carryover. Uh, you'll get $86,400 every single day of your life. Uh, if you had an account like that, wouldn't you spend all of the money in it every single day? Let me tell you something, friends. We all have an account like that. It's called time. Because we've all been given 86,400 seconds every single day. Every day God gives us the gift of a, a, a new day of life. He gives us 86,400 seconds to spend as stewards with what he's entrusted to us. There's no balance that carries over. There's no overdraft. If you fail to use the day's deposits, the loss is yours. There's no going back. And so ask yourself what you're doing with what God has entrusted to you. As you think about this entrustment of time, the scriptures tell us there is a day coming when Jesus Christ is coming back. And as believers, we will stand before him in judgment. Now, as we talked about all throughout Daniel, as Christians, we do not stand before the great white throne judgment in Revelation 20. That is for the non-believer. But as Christians, as believers in Jesus, we will stand before Jesus in judgment. And the judgment we face is called the Bema Seat. In Romans 14.10, we're told we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. That's the Greek word bematos that is used there, bema. It's found again in 2 Corinthians 5.10 where it says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Now, this word bema was used in the first century to denote an elevated platform that had steps going up to it. And it's where politicians would give uh, political orations. It's where judicial decisions were made. As you read Matthew 27, 19 or John 19, 13, 
you'll, you'll read where Pilate was seated on the bema, the judgment seat, as Christ was standing trial before Pontius Pilate. But the judgment here is not one of punishment that is being spoken about in Corinthians. This is uh, one that speaks of rewards for how we've lived our lives. Now, as I say this, again, I want you to understand something very clearly. I am not teaching salvation by works. I'm not telling you we get to heaven by how good we lived our lives. The scriptures are very clear. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, For by grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, It is a gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one should boast. We are not saved by what we do. We're saved by what Jesus did on the cross, where he died to pay that penalty of death that we owe for our sins. And when we accept that gift of grace, we are saved. Now, once we are saved, we are judged for what we have done with our lives. This is what 1 Corinthians 3, 10 through 15 is telling us. It says, according to the grace of God, which was given to me like a wise master builder, I laid a foundation and another is building on it. But each man must be careful how he builds on it. For no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. So that's telling us the foundation of our faith, how we are saved, is Jesus. Now, once we come to faith, we are building on that. And this is where it says, now if any man builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, these are things of eternal lasting value versus what we're about to read, these worthless passing things. It says, if you build on that foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, or wood, hay, straw, each man's work will become evident, for the day will show it, because it is to be revealed with fire, and the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. If any man's work which he has built on it remains, he will receive a reward. If any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss. But he himself will be saved, yet it's through fire. So what we're told here is this foundation of our faith is what Jesus Christ did. And Romans 10.9 says, If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. So we're saved by faith, and then we are judged not whether we get into heaven or not based upon how we lived our lives. Christ decided that at the cross. When we receive him as our Savior, that's, what, that's the ticket into heaven. And it says you cannot lose that. 1 Corinthians 3.15 said, But he himself will be saved, yet is through fire if you suffer loss. You can lose rewards, but you can't lose your salvation. Brothers and sisters in Christ, we did nothing to earn it. We can do nothing to lose it. But we can lose our rewards because it it tells us here, you will be saved yet as through fire. Uh, Kind of an easy translation would be some are going to get to heaven and smell like smoke, right? They're going to have nothing left. They're going to be excited and glad they got in because Jesus bought the entrance ticket for us. But you're not going to be able to do anything else. It's like going to Six Flags. You know, you got the pass to get in but then you don't get to play the arcade or eat the funnel cakes or do the other things, right? It's still a lot of fun to be there. You're riding rides and doing things, but some people are able to do more than others because they have additional things once they get in, and this is heaven. Now, when it, when it comes to the rewards that we have, it's, it's based upon how we invested our lives and our resources while we were here on earth. The re- rewards we receive, you can think of the Olympic medal stand. Because, by the way, remember, the Greek games, 
uh, the Greek language, Bamatos, is what the Olympic medal stand is named. It's the Bamatos. It's the reward stand. And for those who ran well, those who, who won the race, they get a gold medal. Those who, who did well, they're like the five Mina person. You get a silver, and then there's the bronze. You know, you're excited that you were even at the Olympics, but those who excelled receive these medal rewards. And this is what we're reading about here. Now, in the scriptures, um, we, don't get, we don't get medals, okay? We're going to talk in a moment about crown rewards. But in terms of you think about the precious metals and things, the way that you, you refine gold or silver or bronze or other things, you put it in a fire. And that's what we read about in 1 Corinthians 3, right? Our life works are going to be put in the fire. And when you heat up iron or gold ore or whatever, the, the dross, the impurities, they burn away. And there can even be a loss of some of the metal if the fire is too intense. And so if you've got a whole bunch of wood, hay, and stubble, you can burn up because you didn't live your, your life well. But the precious metal will be refined, and that's what will be taken out. And that's the rewards that we give. So the, the, the junk that burns up is when we live selfish lives where we spend all of our resources of our time, talents, and treasures uh, based upon us. But as I said, there are crown rewards. We don't get medals, but we do get crowns. Could I have the slide with the crown rewards? Thank you. Um, on this slide, what you see in 1 Corinthians 9.25, uh, there's one reward called the imperishable crown, and this is for leading a disciplined life. In 1 Thessalonians 2.19, there's the crown of rejoicing, and this is for evangelism and discipleship. Now, some people will tell me, Pastor Roger, I've never led a single person to the Lord. I'm not going to have any rewards like that. If you were in Awana, you know you used to get the little jewels that went into your crowns, right? And so uh, you not only have this crown reward, some people like a Billy Graham are going to have massive amounts of jewels. Um, but in terms of this, the scriptures tell us that some, some plow, some plant, some water, and some harvest if you're somebody who supports a ministry or a missionary and you pray for them and you give financially and think you share in these rewards, but there are some people who are missing out on these eternal rewards because God presents an opportunity and you may not share your faith, but the next person who comes along does and they're the one who harvests. And so there are rewards for evangelism and discipleship, the crown of rejoicing. In 2 Timothy 4.8, there's the crown of righteousness. This is for loving the Lord's appearing. Uh, James 1.12 and Revelation 2.10 speaks of the crown of life for enduring trials. And 1 Peter 5.4 speaks of the crown of glory for those who shepherd God's flock faithfully. Now, when we get these rewards, it's not so we can walk around heaven and say, Hey, look at my bling. I got, I got more than you, you know, I lived a better life than you. That's not what the crown rewards are for. The crown rewards are what we find in Revelation 4, 10 through 11. It tells us that we are going to lay these at the feet of Christ in worship. Revelation 4, 10 says the 24 elders will fall down before him who sits on the throne and will worship him who lives forever and ever, and they will cast their crowns before the throne saying, worthy are you, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power. Have you ever had somebody give you a gift unexpectedly? And you're like, ah, I didn't, 
have anything to give you. And you know how you kind of feel bad about that? Now, in heaven, there are no tears. So, you know, don't send me emails about, well, Roger, we're not going to be sad in heaven. I'm just using this as an illustration. So if you have ever had that feeling where you're facing somebody who gave you this great gift and you're like, I don't have anything to give you back. Think about facing Jesus Christ, the one who gave us the gift of eternal life, the one who died to save us, and we get to heaven, and we have nothing to worship him with. We have nothing to lay at his feet. We're those people, those men and women who smell like smoke. It's you know like going to a game where you're sitting in an arena, and some people are up in the, the nosebleed seats, right? And others are courtside, and you're up there in the nosebleed seats saying, wow, I'd love to be down there. You know, that's where I am. I'm up in the nosebleed going, that, that looks nice. I'd like to be there someday. Well, in heaven, guess what? There are rewards of that as well called proximity rewards. We see these 24 elders are right around the throne of Christ. And as you read Matthew twenty twenty, there was an argument, you remember, among the disciples about who would have the places of honor closest to Christ. And Jesus said those seats of honor would be reserved for those who were faithful and sacrificial servants. There are also rewards of responsibility, which is what we're talking about today. The parable of the talents in Matthew 25, the parable of the mean, as we're looking at today, say in the kingdom, there are going to be people who are literally over cities and authority. Uh, And in that kingdom, faithful servants of Christ are going to be given places commensurate with how they stewarded or managed the things that we've been given here on earth the first time. In this parable, Jesus says the first servant lived his life at the gold medal level. And he hears, well done, good slave, because you have been faithful in a very little thing, being authority over ten cities. The Greek word translated here as good is agathos. It literally means useful. And so when God says he was faithful or good, he's saying, you did my business. You fulfilled the master's business. And when God says he was faithful in a very little thing, it shows that even the little stuff to us that seems unimportant can be very significant when God is the one who is weighing it. There was a well-known conductor by the name of Sir Michael Costa, and he was conducting a rehearsal one day where he had a full orchestra, and he had a a, a hundred-person choir to go with it. And during the rehearsal, Uh, about halfway through the session, the trumpets were blaring, the drums were rolling, the violins were singing the rich melody, the choir was hitting a crescendo, and it was the part where the piccolo player was supposed to come in. And, And he's sitting there listening to all this, and he mutters to himself, what good am I doing? Nobody can hear me anyway. So he just raised his instrument to his lips, but he didn't play. And at that moment, the conductor bangs his baton on the stand, and he goes, stop, stop. I said, where's the piccolo? You know, maybe some of the other people there couldn't hear that the piccolo wasn't playing its part, but to the most important person, the conductor, he knew the piccolo was not doing its part. And it's the same with us. In the Christian life, you may be doing something where you think, well, nobody even sees you. Nobody even knows. You may have a behind-the-scenes ministry. You may be doing something that you're going, what does this really matter Like the widow's might, I can only put in two half cents when somebody else can fill the plate with money. What good is my gift? But the conductor, Jesus Christ, says, I see what you're doing. I know your faithfulness, and I've given you that part to play. 
Hebrews 6.10 tells us, For God is not unjust, so as to forget your work and the love which you have shown toward his name in having ministered and still ministering to the saints. Friends, there is no detail too small when it comes to serving the Lord. Colossians chapter 3 and verses 23 through 24 tells us, Whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve. There was a German king in the uh, 11th century by the name of King Henry III. And he had grown tired of court life, the pressures of being the monarch, and he decided he was going to abdicate the throne. He was going to leave the palace. He was going to go to a monastery up on the side of a mountain, and he was going to live his life in seclusion for the, the, the rest of the days he had. And as he knocks on the door of the monastery, the, the religious superior, a man by the name of Prior Richard, opened the door. And he hears the king say, I want to uh, become a monk here. And Prior Richard says, Your Majesty, do you understand that a pledge here is one of obedience? He says, This will be hard because you've been the king. And Henry replied, I understand. The rest of my life I will be obedient to you as Christ leads you. So he said to the king, I will tell you what to do. Go back to your throne and serve faithfully in the place where God has put you. King Henry did so. He lived out his days, and at his funeral, a statement was read that said, the king learned to rule by being obedient. As you think about the places that God has you, as you think about your life right now, some of us have been placed in the role as a father, a mother, maybe as a student or as a teacher. You might be a day laborer or a doctor. Wherever it is that God has put you, are you serving faithfully? Do you understand that whatever you do, you're doing it for the master? That, friends, we serve an audience of one, only one, God in heaven. And when we do, there will be greater places of responsibility to come for our faithfulness. Luke 19, 19 says, And the second one came, saying, Your mina master has made five minas. And he said to him also, And you are to be over five cities. I want you to notice this servant had the same entrustment as the first, but he only had half of the return. Now, five cities is a very significant reward. He still receives a great reward for how he or she lived their life. But it's not the same level. And notice it's not the same words of commendation because there's no statement of well done. What the Bible is clear on is there is proportionate reward for proportionate faithfulness. As we live our lives, we need to be living in a way that we hear the words of Matthew twenty-five, twenty-one, when we stand before Christ where he says, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. Now we also see that there is another person who comes. It says in Luke 19, 20, and another came. Now, the Greek word used here for another is heteros, which means another of a different kind. And there's a debate among some as to whether this was a person who was even saved. But there's no debate as to the fact that this person did not use what had been entrusted to him or her. There are no words of commendation. In fact, there's condemnation. There's words of rebuke. This person is called worthless. 
He took what he had been given. He hid it away. In Matthew 5.15, we're told not to light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand so that it gives light to all who are in the house. Friends, some of us are living our lives like we're in the Christian secret service, right? We are so deep undercover that nobody even knows that we're saved. Uh, Someone once said the only way that some people's light is going to shine is when they kick the bucket and the pastor at their funeral tells them, well, this person was a Christian. As you look at your life, is your light shining? Are you living for God? Now, in terms of rewards, notice not only are there none given for him, but what he had been given is taken and given to the one who had been most faithful. Now, some in society say that's not fair, right? Everybody should get a participation trophy. Or everything has to be equal. So it's why they say, well, why are you giving it to the one who has ten? I mean, at least take the and give it to the one who only has five. But remember, proportionate reward for proportionate faithfulness. God says the one who is faithful in a little can be trusted with more. And so God gives to the one who is most faithful the most rewards. Now, in verse 21, this guy says, I was afraid of you because you are an exacting man. The Greek word that is used here is austere. It's where we get our English word austere. Now, it doesn't mean unfair. What it's used for is to describe the work that an inspector does. Now, if you're thinking God should grade on the curve or overlook things, I want you to ask yourself that when it comes to the restaurant you eat at or the food that you buy from the store, do you want an inspector who is exacting and precise and says, well, this food wasn't handled properly, it wasn't kept at the right temperature? Or do you want an inspector who says, eh, a little salmonella, it's not a big deal, you know? Do you want to get on an airplane where the inspector looked at it and said, well, it failed inspection, but, you know, it's a 50-50 chance. It might make it to the next place. Go ahead and get on the flight. When it comes to our safety, we want somebody who is exacting. We want somebody who is going to have strict rules and live by them. And when it comes to God, he's austere because he's holy. He is a God who is holy and sin cannot come into his presence. So when people say, well, God is love and he shouldn't judge anybody and nobody should face judgment and and be sent to the lake of fire, this place we call hell, what God says is I am holy and sin cannot come into my presence. But he's also loving and he's also merciful and he's also gracious which is why he gave his son Jesus to die for us. He said, at the cross, my holiness and justice come together with my love and mercy. He said, you are sinners, all of us are. Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, that standard of perfection. And he says, I'm austere, I'm exacting. There is, you know, sin that has to be dealt with. And he gave us the way to be welcomed home into heaven by coming to faith in him. Now, as we see, not everyone will receive this gift of grace because in verse 14 and again in verse 27, it says there are those who reject Jesus and they will be rejected. As verse 27 says, Christ said, but these enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slay them in my presence. Now, those who are killed and cast out here are not done so because they didn't do enough good to earn their way to heaven. They're rejected because they rejected Jesus' payment. This is the great white throne judgment of Revelation 20, verses 11 through 15, where Jesus opens the book of life and their name is not there. So he opens the books and says, I see your life works and you're a sinner. 
And because you did not accept my payment of death in your place, my blood to wash away your sins and close the account, you get to pay the penalty yourself. Now remember, as Christians, we don't face the great white throne judgment because we've accepted the gift of grace. We're welcomed home into heaven because of what Jesus did to save us. Our salvation has been bought and paid for by Christ. What we are judged for is how we have lived our lives for the Lord. It's based upon before Jesus left the earth, he gave the great commission and said, do my business until I return. Friends, there's just one simple principle we see here as we close out. It's to take what God has entrusted to us and to do his business. I want you to notice the freedom we have and how we invest what God has given us. God doesn't say here every single person is to become a pastor like Roger. God doesn't call everybody into vocational ministry, but he calls everybody into ministry in whatever your vocation is. You can be an artist, a teacher, a cashier, a clerk, a musician, a medical or military professional. And wherever you are, God says, are you doing my business? Are you shining your light? Are you standing for Christ in the workplaces, the schools, the neighborhoods that he has you? Colossians 3.17 says, whatever you do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus The only binding instruction we've been given is to use what we've been entrusted with for the master's business. God has given us life and breath, relationships and opportunities, our families, our education, our careers, our possessions. They all belong to him. Are you using them to do his business? There is a day coming, brothers and sisters in Christ, when we will stand before Jesus And on that day, as our life works are judged, those who have lived for the Lord will receive eternal rewards. So as you think today about how you're living your life, as you look ahead to that day, live in such a way that you're going to hear the words of Matthew 25, 21. Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. You join me, please, as we close in prayer. Lord God, we thank you for your great love for us. Love, as you tell us in Romans 5, 8, that was demonstrated in that while we were yet sinners, you, Christ, died for us. We thank you, God, that you've given us what we need to come to faith and and to be a part of your family, that you have offered us a gift of eternal life through Jesus. You tell us in Romans 10, 9, that if we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God will save us. And so I pray, Father, if there's anyone here today who has not yet come to your son, if anybody is worshiping online, listening to this message, who has not yet accepted that gift of grace, that today would be the day where they receive your gift, your gift of eternal life. And, Father, for the rest of us who have done so, who are believers in you, God, you've given us the entrustment of our days. We may have a hundred years here on earth. And what is that compared to the thousand-year millennial kingdom and then eternity beyond that with you in heaven? God, would you help us to live for you, to live in such a way that we will hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. We pray these things in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you for worshiping with us. Go in peace to love and serve the Lord.